1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel calls the tribes together to let God outline how this new kingship will be, and to announce Saul as the new king. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel 10, verse 9. Once again, that's 1 Samuel, chapter 10, verse 9.
2: 1 Samuel 10. Israel demanded that Samuel give them a king, and God chose one for them, a man who literally stood head and shoulders above his fellow Israelis, Saul. And God, we saw in chapter 9, that he orchestrated events that connected Saul and Samuel together, and after being Samuel's guest of honor, we'll see things are set in motion for Saul to become king. Well, verse nine, let's see how it all pans out. The Samuel predicts this, and it was so, verse nine, that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him Saul another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. I kind of wanted more information, but the Lord doesn't give us more information except for the third sign. We'll get to that in a second. But I love it here that it says that the Lord gave him another heart. The phrase there, it means to change the essential form or nature of something. I don't have the ability to change my heart. I do have the ability to change my mind. The Bible tells us to do that. It says, the Lord says, Come, let us reason together, right? I have the ability to change my mind. This is where we find a lot of this confusion between what we would call free will and the sovereignty of God. Those who really believe absolutely strongly in the sovereignty of God, they confuse the scriptures that talk about our hearts with our minds. The Bible doesn't say that God controls our minds. The Bible doesn't say that our mind is in bondage to sin. The Bible says that it is affected by the fall, but we still have the capacity to choice. And so it tells us to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the sons of God. That being true, I don't have the ability to change myself. I don't have the ability to change even my heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? I can't even understand my own heart, let alone change it. So while I can change my mind and God commands me to change my mind, that's what repent means. It means repentance. The word means to change your mind. So God commands me to change my mind. But his promise is when I do that, he will change my heart. When I humble myself and I decide to be obedient to the Lord, I may not have the ability to change my whole attitude towards the Lord, my heart towards the Lord. I don't have the ability to actually fulfill what I'm saying I'll do. But when I humble myself and decide to obey the Lord, God gives me grace. He pours out his grace upon me and he transforms my heart. So, It's important when you pray or when you're committing things to the Lord, to say, oh God, please help me to make better decisions than that. The Lord, he doesn't do that for us. We make the choices. And then he comes alongside and he undergirds those choices. It's so important for us to make those clear decisions. I catch myself even sometimes when I'm praying, the Lord help me so I can be a better dad and I can do this. And I sense that Lord just in that still small voice saying, well, I will help you, but you've got to make some different choices, right? And when I do, every time I do, the Lord undergirds that decision. He gives me the grace that's needed to transform my life and transform my heart so I can be what I'm choosing to be in obedience to him. Saul, at this point in time, he could have made excuses to reject Samuel's words. He could have chosen to disbelieve Samuel's words. He could have done any number of things at this point, but he chose to believe the Lord. And when he did, God gave him another heart. You say, well, it doesn't say that. Well, how do you know he chose to believe Samuel's words? Well, we know he did because Saul went where Samuel told him to go. He didn't go straight home. He went to Rachel's tomb first. And then he went to this other place where three guys were on their way to Bethel. And then finally he went home. That's not a straight line if you look at a map. So Saul went where Samuel told him to go. And everything happened just like Samuel said it would happen. Now, the only one that's mentioned in detail is the third sign. So verse 10. And when they came thither to the hill, to Gabeah, his hometown, behold, a company of prophets met him, just like Samuel said. It says, a company of prophets met him. The word literally means happened upon him. Just like God said, it looked like happenstance to him, but it was all orchestrated by the Lord. And the Spirit of God came upon him, Saul And he prophesied among them. Saul joined in their procession for a bit because he sensed the Lord's leading and he preached just like they were. Now, verse 11 shows the city's reaction to Saul preaching. And it came to pass when all that knew him before time, they knew him before this moment, they saw that behold, he prophesied among the prophets. Then those people said one to another, what is this that has come unto the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Now, this is not a real question. This is a derogatory statement meant to communicate that Saul's life didn't match up with what they saw from the man who was in the midst of all these other prophets right now. Saul didn't go to the schools. Is this really Saul? I mean, Saul's never preached in his life. In fact, I never even thought he was a spiritual man. So it's a derogatory remark. What's he doing out there? This doesn't seem to make any sense. But one person pipes up to defend Saul, verse 12. And one of the same place answered and said, but who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, is saw also among the prophets. What is he saying? But who is their father? Well, being a prophet wasn't hereditary; it wasn't linked to a specific tribe or family, like the priesthood was. These were men who had come from all sorts of different tribes. They weren't Levites or just Benjamites or whatever. They had come from everywhere. It was an appointment by the Lord. And so when he's saying, "Yeah, but who is their father?" He's saying, if God gifted these men with the ability to teach, why couldn't God pick Saul too? And this silenced the critics so much that this reply became a saying in Israel, anyone, someone had a radical change of heart. In other words, if Bob all of a sudden had this radical change and he would become a different guy, people are going, I don't, I don't buy it. I can't. And they would say, oh yeah, is Saul also among the prophets? That was a the saying they would give. And so when they would see something like that, we would go, yeah, that's right, God can do anything. He can change anybody. That was the proverb that became in Israel. It's interesting, Paul used the same argument, Paul the apostle used the same argument to prove that God can save anyone. For he too had been changed from the old Saul to a new man. Look at 1 Timothy chapter one. I love what Paul says here. He is urging Timothy to be faithful because he says, Timothy, I left you at Ephesus to pastor the church while I was gone well, for what I thought was just a very short season, but I am not going to get back to you in the time I thought I was going to. And I'm writing this letter so you can know how to be a good pastor, so you could know how to conduct yourself in the church to lead them. And he encourages this very timid young man who's nervous about his leadership role there, doesn't feel quite capable. And he says, listen, if God picked me, and he changed me, he can pick you and use you. Verse 12 of chapter one, he says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor. I was injurious. The word there means insolent. I mean, I was just an arrogant fool, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. It was overflowing with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. God did so much in my life. And so this is a faithful saying. It's worthy of everyone to accept it. No one should deny this truth. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I am the worst one that ever lived. Howbeit, that's okay. Okay. Because for that reason, I obtained mercy. God showed mercy to the chief of sinners that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. He would show everyone how patient He is for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Timothy, if God can change me and if He can raise me up like this after all I did, He can use you. He can use anyone. It doesn't matter who you've been, it doesn't matter who you are right now. If you will change your mind, God will change who you will become. That's why it's called good news. It's not bad news. Like, if you ever come to church and you feel like it's, oh, that's just bad news. If you're saved and you're feeling like it's bad news, then either somebody communicated something incorrectly or you misunderstood it. Either way, something wrong happened because it's great news. I go to bed every night knowing that I am my beloved's and he is mine. Do I always feel that way? No. But the Bible says, when our hearts condemn us, praise God, God is greater than our hearts because he knows all things. I don't know all things. He knows all things. So if when I'm feeling a certain way and it's strong and overwhelming, I can say, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to a rock that is higher than me. I'm not on a place that's the highest place I can be. I might look out and from. I might think I can see a whole lot. I might think I can really read the situation and it might look like bad news. <laughs> but David, he said, lead me to a rock that's higher than me. Lead me to a place where you are, where you see everything. So I don't have to depend upon how I see things or how I feel about things. But I can see it through your eyes. I can see it because you've revealed it in your word. Lead me to a rock, a stable place that's higher than I. You who know all things. It's good news. It's great news. Well, back in 1 Samuel chapter 10, after this event occurs, Saul finally reconnects with family. He goes into the town, 1 Samuel 10, verse 13. And when he made it end of prophesying, he came to the high place, the worship center. And when he finished... It says that Saul's uncle said unto him and to his servant, Whither went you? Where you been, man? Now, Saul's uncle here is a man named Nair. He is Abner's father, and Abner will become someone we'll get to know because Abner will become Saul's general. So there was closeness here between Saul and his uncle. It doesn't tell us why Saul went to the worship center first instead of going to his house first, but his uncle apparently stayed after this worship event was over, and he is Saul's first contact with a family member. And he tells me, he says, where you been, man? You've had us all worried sick. And Saul, I got to love this answer. Go look for the donkeys. Where do you think I was? Saul paused, hoping that that would be a sufficient answer. But when his uncle doesn't reply to that, Saul knew he had to tell his uncle about Samuel. And so he said, well, when we saw that they were nowhere, when we couldn't figure out where they were, we came to Samuel. Now that got Saul's uncle's attention. He was curious when Samuel's name came up. And so he says, well, tell me, I pray. I mean, that's pretty crazy. He's the most famous guy in all of Israel. What, what happened there? And so Saul said to his uncle, well, he told us plainly that the donkeys were found. That's why we're home. But of the matter of the kingdom, whereof Samuel spoke, he did not tell him. So Saul doesn't reveal everything just enough to get his uncle off his back. Now, that's it for Saul's side of the story. Now in verse 17, we shift back to Samuel's perspective as he's going to announce God's choice. He's going to announce that Saul is God's choice for king. So verse 17, And Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah. Mizpah is the same place, if you remember, five years earlier where Israel made things right with the Lord and they defeated the Philistines. And he called them together unto the Lord. I love this. He reminds them, you know, you asked for a king, but God will always be your ruler. Not me, not a judge, not any king he's going to lead you into this next phase. And he said unto the children of Israel, verse 18, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Here's God's message to you on this very important day. It's a short message. I brought you up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all kingdoms and of them that oppressed you. That is a short message, but it's an important reminder. One of the easiest mistakes to make is forgetting who got me where I am. It's a very easy mistake to make. And reminding them of this truth is all God has to say to them in this momentous change. I have to tell you that when I was studying this and I read that, I had to pause for a minute. I so I thought, Lord, how many times have I forgotten that truth? That I'm where I am right now only because of you. Because of all the messes that you've gotten me out of that I put myself in. You and I cannot do anything without the Lord. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing is a very complicated word in the Greek. It means no thing. No thing. You can do no thing without me, not a single thing. But how often do we go about without taking time to hear from him, to actively let him direct our lives? Sometimes it's just a matter of, getting busy with our normal routine, right? Because we figure, well, I can do this. It's my normal routine. You know, humility, first off, means being real with myself. It means recognizing my ever-present need for the Lord. And the Bible is full of beautiful promises for the person who has that kind of a humble heart. We read in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the famous one that probably all of you could quote it, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not in your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths, right? It's a simple, beautiful promise to take him into account in all that we do. Unfortunately, Israel did not do that. They decided they knew best how to care for themselves. Verse 19, Samuel, based on God's very short message, he preaches to them. And you have this day rejected your God who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations, and you have said unto him, no. We don't want that anymore. You've been doing all this for us, but we don't want that anymore. But set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. The thousands there refers to their military units. And so everyone, all the tribal leaders, all your soldiers, want you all to assemble in groups to recognize this momentous day that you chose, that you picked Because you were displeased with the setup the Lord had given to you. Although all God had done wasn't good enough for them, Samuel reminds them the Lord's still in charge. So step forward by tribe, make sure your best soldiers are present so you can see who God picks. This won't be your pick, this will be His. So, verse 20. When Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, it says the tribe of Benjamin was taken. So likely he had the tribal leaders come up and out of all of them was selected. It doesn't tell us how they were selected or chosen. It mentions that the tribe of Benjamin was selected. So when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their family, so now they stepped forward by their family groupings and it says the family of Matri was taken. We don't know who Matri is. He's just a descendant of Benjamin, but we do know Saul and his family are part of that grouping because it says when then those families of Machir brought forward by the individual families, it says Saul, the son of Kish, was selected. So this is the moment, the moment of revelation. However, when they sought him, he could not be found. How do you pick a guy when you can't find him? Like, how did he get picked? I don't know. It's very interesting to me. I personally believe that this was not done by lot. A lot of people say, well, they picked lots, like drawn straws, or they consulted the urim and the thummim and they said, is it Levi? And they pulled it out and the stone was no. Is it Judah? And they pulled out a stone? No. And then when they pulled out, you know, is it Benjamin? They pulled out the other stone and it was yes. I don't think it was probably that way either because it mentions here, verse 22, therefore they inquired of the Lord further. They asked again of the Lord if the man should yet come here. In other words, if he was still in his way, maybe it's, he hasn't arrived yet. And the Lord answered, behold, he has hid himself in the stuff. He is, he's hiding in the equipment. Now that's not something you can figure out with a stone or the Urim and the Thummim. This is not something you figure out by lots. You know, Where is he? Well, here's the 18,000 things that could happen. I know, I can't imagine that would be. I think they were directly asking the Lord and God was speaking to them through Samuel or someone else and saying, hey, this is what's going on. I'm picking Saul, but he's not there when they pick him. He's hiding himself in the equipment, the travel gear that had come with everyone. In other words, Saul wasn't lost. He did this on purpose. Now, why in the world is Saul hiding amongst the equipment? It doesn't tell us why, but we can infer two things. Number one, I'm pretty sure we can know for sure that he is hiding because he believed what Samuel had told him was true, that he would be picked. He believed that he was the king. And secondly, we can also probably infer for sure that he didn't want to be visible when that moment arrived. Now, we could suggest that Saul didn't like being in the limelight or that he was a humble guy. That may very well be the case. But if it tells us anything, it tells us that Saul believed God's word was true. Now, that's not the same thing as faith, by the way. Faith trusts that God's word is best. That's different. But faith can't really happen until we believe his word is true. So that means Saul's at least on the right page. Whatever we might think about his motive for hiding. We can call him a scaredy cat. We can say he was humble. I heard all sorts of sermons on why Saul was hiding in this stuff. I have no clue why. But it means he's on the right page, that he believed God's word was true. Now, to become a good king, he's going to need to learn to trust that God's word is best as well. And that's part of what we'll find out if he eventually becomes that later on. When they find him, verse 23, and they ran, this is a big moment, who had God chosen? We got to find out. Well, he was someone imposing. They fetched him from there, and when he stood amongst the people, it says he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There's none like him amongst all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God, save the king. Literally means let the king live. We are cool with this choice. He is a good specimen to represent and lead us. There was no guarantee that people would accept God's choice, but for the most part, they do so enthusiastically. So in verse 25, Samuel explains to everyone God's rules for this new office. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom, and he wrote it in a book, and he laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. Now, the word there, manner of the king, it just means the law, the plan, the regulations. In other words, this book outlined God's rules for the relationship between the king, the monarchy, and the people. My guess is it probably gave more details on the things already commanded in Deuteronomy 17, which we read in our scripture reading, as well as any other commands that we found in the law of Moses for leaders and how they might relate specifically to a king. So this makes this document a little bit more that Samuel wrote, a little bit more like a commentary than scripture. And I bring this up because people go, why don't we have this book? There's lost books of the Bible. Just because the Bible records that books were written doesn't mean they're lost books of the Bible. It's more like a commentary, like someone might write today. It's more like what I'm doing today. I hope that the Lord's speaking to you through me, but I'm not inspired. Please don't ever mistake that. The Word of God is inspired. So what Samuel did here today, I hope it was the Lord, but it wasn't inspired in the same way the Scriptures are. So we don't need it since the Lord didn't see fit to put it in the Word of God. This was set up before the Lord. That usually refers to the tabernacle. And after that, Samuel explained all this. He sent everyone home, including Saul. Apparently, the document didn't have any mention of the people building Saul a palace since he was the new king. Well, a palace isn't what a leader needs to do their job well. What they do need is good help. And so it says, there went with him a band of men, a large group of soldiers whose hearts God had touched. Isn't that awesome? Everyone can't be a leader, but anyone can come alongside the one that God picks to lead to help them. And that's God's design for leadership. It's to give one person a vision and then to raise up people around them so that every one of them can use their gifts to move forward together to fulfill that vision. That's what we see, the pattern in scripture of leadership. And so how cool must have this been for Saul? How much of a blessing it is when you become this to those who lead the ministries that you're a part of. Sadly, however, everyone wasn't on board with God's choice for it says, but The children of Belial literally means the sons of Satan. I don't think this was like a group like they met at like the sons of Satan synagogue or something like that. The word sons of Satan just means wicked people. And they said, how shall this man save us? And they despised him. In other words, this guy's not a military commander. He's not even a soldier. How's he going to lead us to victory over the Philistines? Here's a truth you need to understand, especially if you lead people. No matter how much you shine through preparation, experience, or even your personal presence, like Saul had, there will always be those who see what you lack instead of looking at what God will supply. You see, they despise Saul because they despised the Lord already. They thought they knew better, and so they weren't impressed with this man. However, look at Saul's response. They didn't bring him any presents, but he held his peace. He didn't retaliate. He remains humble. And we are called to do the same. Jesus is our example. Where it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, when he was reviled, he did not revile back. First Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, and I'll leave you with this. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was Guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, He did not threaten, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. Well, Lord, we thank you so much for the fact that you picked a guy like Saul, Lord, and he is not what we would call a success. We know his story and how it ends. And yet, Lord, we see his humble beginnings, his humble start. And so we lean into you, Lord, to not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge you, knowing you'll direct our paths. Thank you, Lord, for hearing every heart that's praying that. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app